Robins at the Gate with Sky Sports and Five Lives Michelle Owen. Proudly sponsored by Mansion Bet, your favourite place to bet. Get £20 in free bets when you join today and bet £10 on any sport. Always bet on red with Mansion Bet. New customers only. Minimum first bet of £10 at odds of evens or greater from a UK debit card. For £5 free bets valid for seven days. Full terms at mansionbet.com. 18 plus. Be gamble aware. Welcome along to Robins at the Gate with myself, Michelle Owen, and Gregor McGregor for the final podcast of the season. We've made it. The season is done. A season like no other. We can breathe a sigh of relief because it has not been the same in any way, shape or form. But looking forward, hopefully exciting times ahead. And we'll have a little look at the transfer news this week and reflect on the playoff final too and talk about Bristol City's pre-season plans as well. Um, Gregor, you're going to have a couple of weeks off now. Well deserved. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, first thing I just thought we'd talk about though is um, Luke Werhan left his position at Bristol City yesterday. It was on the club website, it was announced. He was the head of operations and club secretary and uh, he's just gone across the other side of the country with Mark Ashton. Uh, did we expect that to happen? I think we knew about it a little while ago, didn't we? We did, yeah. We reported it um, a good month or two ago. And yeah, it's obviously another departure eastwards. And he joins Andy Rolls, head of performance, formerly at Bristol City, now doing a similar role at Ipswich Town. And obviously, Mark Ashton, it was his last day at the club on um, Bank Holiday Monday, I think. So the end of an era, I was going to say, what what do you make of his time, Michelle? I've got a few points and... I think it's fair to say that obviously fans are pretty divided on the Ashton years. And um, I think it is important to look at sort of the the context in terms of he arrived in January 2016, following on from Steve Cottrell and obviously the double winning era. And although things weren't going well in the championship at the time, it it was um, a great period from the club just before that. So that uh, meant it it might have been tough for him to, to follow on from that. And, Fair play, the club did stabilise in the championship. He, I always felt that he had a really good alliance with Lee Johnson. The two of them had a, a good relationship as well as with John Lansdowne, you, you, you could add in there as well. And yeah, the three of them were... We used to see them together yeah, in the tunnel and things, didn't we, when we were allowed in the tunnel? Yeah, I, I think that relationship was integral to the way that the club ran. And then obviously this year we've seen the the club basically fall away to 19th position, basically back where they were when Ashton and Johnson came in back in 2016. So it does feel to me like a a natural end of a cycle. And I was just going to throw in that basically we had one source suggest to us that Mark Ashton's job was sort of under pressure actually almost a year ago, but because of the pandemic, there weren't changes then. But that's an interesting aside, really, because, um, as I say, I think there has been mixed results for for Mark Ashton over over the years. Certainly on the recruitment side, there's been hits and misses. I do think you can point to successes such as Adam Webster, Josh Brownhill, etc. But then, obviously, there have been the the duds such as Lois Dioni, etc. Brian Kent. Um, yeah, yeah, I did forget, and the the New Zealand keeper. I've forgotten his name. Um, oh, Mar- yeah, Mar- Stefan Marinovich. Marinovich. That's Marinovich. right. Yeah. Goodness me, I almost forgot his name. Probably a good job, really. But yeah, there's been some. I would agree with you there. I think looking like at his tenure, the biggest where he became completely unstuck is what happened with Dean Holden. I mean, for me, 
you know, and, and yourself, Gregor, I know we really like Dean Holden. And actually, if you look at the grand context of the season, he did a good job compared to sort of what followed with Nigel Pearson. I, I do think Nigel Pearson is going to hopefully turn things around and, you know, a squad absolutely hit by injuries. But for what Dean Holden dealt with, he did well. But the problem was the process of appointing Dean Holden was was such a mess, if we're quite frank. It took so long over the summer, which would have affected pre-season plans, would have affected recruitment as well. And they interviewed so many people and just came back to, to square one. And yeah, okay, you can say, oh yeah, it was a thorough process, but it didn't need to be that long, did it? So for me, I think that's if I was looking at the whole period of the five years, that's where the fans really turned. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think from speaking to the club, they try and reinforce this sort of uh, basically arrangement where everybody is responsible up at the top end. So they make it difficult. <laughs> and I think they do this deliberately. They make it so that not one person is culpable for all the decisions. And certainly when you look at the recruitment, I think that's why we get quite... Um, uh, sort of vague answers sometimes when you ask about who's in charge of recruitment they're quite keen to make sure that no one is is, is blamed essentially for, for things and I'm not sure that that's the way it should be um, and, and yeah they've had this collective responsibility John Lansdowne mentioned it recently when we when we asked him uh, following the appointment of Nigel Pearson being appointed as manager so yeah, they, basically, I think when you're the CEO, though, essentially you're in charge, aren't you? You're, you're making the decisions um, or having a, a large say in those. So definitely um, there's some accountability there for, for Mark Ashton. And certainly it's going to be an interesting watch to see how Ipswich do over the years ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And quite interesting the way so many people have changed you know, their whole life to go over there with him. It says something about how influential he is, which I, I thought anyway. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a turbulent year and there's been banners with his name on asking him to go. So, you know, from a personal point of view, it probably wasn't that easy for him. But at the same time, um, I think if I was going to sum it up, up overall, Gregor, I thought he did a good job at the start with the way he was trading players. I know that's the Lansdowne model. You know, if you look at the money he did bring in for some of those sales, but I think um, ultimately just was the right thing to move on when he did. And I think the club's, I think the club might go in a different direction now. I don't think they can carry on how they were trying to sell their way to the top. Um, and we've seen, you know, Nigel Pearson brought in Danny Simpson. He's going to have perhaps have a bigger say on recruitment this summer, isn't he? And that brings us on to, because he's manager, not head coach, remember. That brings us on to transfers this, this week. Um, anything sort of caught your eye? I know you're having a bit of holiday at the moment, but I know you don't take your eye off the ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, the latest one we've sort of found out about is is Michael Smith, the Rotherham forward. Um, believe that there are a few clubs in for him, but he's quite a major transfer target for Bristol City and they'll be pitching in there for his services. He's had a good year at uh, the New York Stadium, scored 10 goals in the Championship. Uh, what stood out for us when we were looking at him is that only one other player in the division has has won more aerial duels per game. And that was Kiefer Moore at Cardiff. So oh, wow. it and shows... How highly Kiefer Moore is rated. So it's a massive thing, isn't it? If, if that's the way they're going to play. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he, he, I mean, Moore is formidable, isn't he, in the air. He's such a, a beast at holding up the ball. I think this is what they want, someone physical who can who can withstand uh, the challenges up there and and, and basically replace Famari Jeju as, as that tall... Um, yeah, powerhouse striker in attack. 
maybe not necessarily um, going to start games, but would be a great option off the bench. If not, um, part of a yeah double act with Narky Wells or, or just leading the line and for a sort of a trident attack with Wells one side and somebody else the other side. So, yeah, we believe he's a major target. Uh, we do know that they're keeping an eye on former AFC Wimbledon uh, striker Joe Piger, is it Piger? Piger? Yeah, Joe Piger, yeah, yeah. And he's out of contract, but he's not more of a secondary transfer target according yeah. to our sources. He's um I've seen him play at where did I see him this season? Bristol Rovers, who's playing for Wimbledon. He's a big, big striker. Um, very tall. Well, saying that, I mean, in terms of, I'm not sort of, I'm not talking Peter Crouch tall, but in terms of sort of his presence on the pitch, it felt big. And he was, you know, he's a big player for Wimbledon. So to leave there is is a big deal. Mm. It's a bit, can he make that up, I guess? Yeah, I know, I know the club scouted him earlier in the season. And as I say, I think he's more of a secondary target. They're going to keep an eye on what happens with him. I believe Middlesbrough are in for uh, Michael Smith as well. So that could complicate that one. There is some interest in Jerry Yates, which we've mentioned of Blackpool before. But then, of course, Blackpool were promoted the other day, weren't they? So that probably makes that one a bit more difficult. So, yeah, in terms of strikers, that, that's the way things are looking at the moment. Yeah, any other areas of interest at the moment that they're trying to pursue? You know, like we said, we don't want it all to be left to the last minute. Um, yes, just ju- soon. Just the um, centre back is uh, the main the main target that we understand is is Robert Atkinson. We believe that the club is actually fairly confident on getting um, a lot of their first choice targets this summer, but they might have to remain. Um, a little bit patient when while they do that. Obviously, we've spoken about this before, but this summer is a little bit different in terms of everything being affected by the pandemic and as a result, wage levels for players going down. So I think we're going to see a lot of t- um, deals done later on in the window um, rather than earlier on. Obviously, nothing ha- has happened so far at the time of recording at Ashton Gate. But hey, when you're a club reporter and you go on holiday, that normally signals the start of, of activity. So, um, yeah, just Rob Atkinson, the Oxford United defender, is a big target in defence. And they also like Matty James, um, again, who has interest, I believe, from commentary as well. So that's going to be an interesting watch. But again, we believe. Crystal City uh, are confident that they they might be able to land their their top targets. Okay, interesting. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on all of that. And even though you're on holiday, I know you'll come back fully briefed and across uh, across it all. Um, In terms of the Euros, Adam Naj is going to be representing um, Hungary. It was nice to see him called up. And what else have you got your eye on at the Euros in terms of Bristol City interests, Gregor? Obviously, Thomas Callas playing playing against England again, and uh, he didn't like it when I spoke to him not so long ago and reminded him about him scoring that own goal against England before when they played in a friendly, I think it was. And yeah, so he'll be hoping for a, a bit better. Obviously, uh, I, I mean, England for me are probably going to be one of the favourites for the for the tournament. So. Um, yeah, it, it, it could well be another tough game for Thomas if he's playing in that one. But great to see him involved. And yeah, as you say, Adam Nagy, they've got um, an easy group, haven't they? Hungary, or was it Portugal, France, and Germany? Just uh, well, yeah. So it's incredibly, incredibly tough for them. But you know, he, would he be a starter for Hungary? Because he's usually quite involved, isn't he? 
He has been a starter, yeah, recently. So, so yeah, he's definitely one to keep an eye on. And, yeah, it's, it's just great for the club, isn't it, to have this recognition at the, at the top level of the game. Uh, I think some cynical fans out there have said, well, this is a great way to put him in the shop window. <laughs> because, and, 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 and Bristol City will, yeah, Bristol City, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bristol City will sell players where they need to, and yeah, and, and maybe if he if if he has a good Euro two thousand and twenty, and likewise Thomas Callas, then then who knows what what will happen? But yeah, no, fair play. I don't know if Hungary would progress though, because even though there's uh, four third place row up spots, aren't there? Sort of the best, and there's only six groups, aren't there? Um, you know, I can't even see Hungary finishing third out of Portugal, France, and Germany. So, you know, I don't know how much we'll see past the group stage, but he could have a good tournament, even even if they don't progress. But Thomas Callas is interesting because out of England, Croatia, Scotland, and the Czech Republic, you might fancy the Czech Republic in that group, but um, to qualify for the next round, but it's exciting. Well, where will you be watching the Euros from? Just just from home. Um, yeah, can't wait for it to get started. I was going to say just on the Czech Republic, my wife drew them in the sweepstake and she's not often very lucky in the sweep with the sweepstakes. So, so that might um, curtail their chances. Oh. And just, 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 <laughs> just on Hungary, I was going to say the Euros has got a fairly good record of seeing really strange results or big upsets. And obviously going right back to Denmark, winning the, the thing in, in many, many years ago, when was that? 1992. So <laughs> yeah, a long time ago, but so I wouldn't actually be surprised if, if Hungary somehow made it out of that group. But wow, that's, then, uh, then again, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. That's that's a big shout, Adam Naj. You know, you're saying European Championship winner. <laughs> I may have missed what you said that just there. But yeah, it's always great to have, um, I guess, a, a major tournament. We missed it so much last, last season. But I remember when Greece won it in 2004. So... Yeah, strange, stranger things have happened. We'll see. Um, do you fancy England this year? Yeah, I do. Off the back of the Champions League final, where obviously there's been a lot of English involvement. I like the squad. I don't have too uh, many um, question marks for me over, over the selection decisions. I was glad they kept uh, Alexander Trent Arnold in there, even though they've got the four right backs. Oh, right. I- Come on. <laughs> yeah, I I do think though that those guys are versatile. They, I think we could well see them on occasion play down the left hand side, and and it's such an energetic position over there. I don't I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Okay, well, you know, just because you're jumping to Gareth Southgate, it's all coming out now. But yeah, it'll be, it'll be fantastic to watch. Um, I'm looking forward to following following Wales. I get to go out to Rome. Hopefully, all being well, so um, that'll be. That'll be good fun. Hopefully they can emulate or better what they did in 2016. That would be amazing. Um, So, yeah, obviously the European Championships are are the thing we're looking at this summer, which is fantastic. But what happened on Saturday was the playoff final. Um, To think that we thought Bristol City might be in, I did, with a shout this season, at the start of the season. But it was um, Brentford, finally, who had their moment. They'd waited so, so long. Um, Swansea just... It just didn't happen for them on the day at all, did it? Um, Brentford overall, you think, were the right team to go up? I mean, you think they finished third? Uh, any other year, they might have gone up with 87 points. Quite phenomenal. They were head and shoulders above the rest of the playoff teams, if we're honest, weren't they? They were, absolutely. And they yeah, fully deserved it. They had a great start to the game. I didn't really think it ever looked, unfortunately, like, the, like that Swansea would, would take that result. 
I think Brentford are now the 50th team to have made the Premier League. And naturally, if you're a Bristol City fan, you might be saying, well, when's our turn going to come? And with with Brentford, it's what the first time since 1946-47 since they've been in the top division. So, yeah, fair play to them. They've been knocking on the door for a while. And I know they had that. You mentioned it before, Michelle, about that awful record they had in the playoffs. But I just think if you if you keep turning up, if you keep getting there, then eventually it will go your way. And and and, and so it went this year. I thought that, yeah, they were deserved winners on the day, obviously, in, in Tony. They had that class act up front and they were pretty defensively sound. I thought Ethan Pinnock was superb at the back there. And it was interesting to see Brian Tinian tweet after the game about how City had considered Ethan Pinnock, but they decided against him because they wanted to give um, or make sure that there was that pathway for Lloyd Kelly to come through. And of course, Lloyd Kelly has since gone on and and brought in the club, what, 17 million odd quid. So yeah, that wasn't a a bad decision necessarily. And, but Bristol City have got a match Brentford. That's the way I see it. They've got to basically replicate their tremendous recruitment record. We've said it many, many times. They, they lose a striker, Andre Gray or Scott Hogan or Neil Mope or, or yeah, Ollie Watkins, etc. But they always replace them, whereas Bristol City just haven't done that. Yeah, they haven't found that knack. They've had amazing players in the past and not quite replicated what's come in, if we're honest. And um, pre-season schedule for Bristol City, then um, new fixture added this week, Plymouth Argyle on Tuesday, July the 27th. That'll be a 6pm kickoff at Home Park. Uh, this follows, so the games are as followed, uh, as follows, if you haven't heard, on the 14th, they're playing Celtic, which is exciting. Uh, 20th is Portsmouth. 24th of July is MK Dons. And then it's Plymouth Argyle away on the 27th. A lot of those games being played at Bristol City's High Performance Centre, also known as the training ground to you and I. Um, why are they doing them there, not at Ashton Gate? Is it because fans won't be allowed in? It's because the pitch isn't going to be ready. Right. Um, basically, yeah, they, they always give like the pitch, I believe, sort of like a few weeks to recover at the end of the season. But then you've got the rugby season rolling on, the Bristol Bears still well in contention with that. They've had a great season. I think they're still top of the Premiership and look like they could be heading to the, the Premiership final, uh, which wouldn't be played at Ashton Gate. I think that would be played at Twickenham. But then you've got the National League final being played at Ashton Gate later on in June. And so, yeah, they, they're going to basically, they'll need time to for the pitch to recover and, and to build it back up for the new season. So they are, you know, as the club has said, they're playing these friendlies and obviously Celtic is the eye-catching one and they're going to play them at the High Performance Centre train, slash training ground. And yeah, the club has said though that some fans will be able to attend those games, but it'll obviously be um, a reduced number. But then the other factor is that that with COVID regulations, we're not 100% sure on, on how many um, will be able to attend and whether things will be back to normal. Yeah, fingers crossed for some sort of normality next season. Uh, over 12,000 season cards have been snapped up, which is pretty impressive, isn't it? Um, and prices were, were frozen for under 12s and under 19s as well. Uh, I mean, how to sum up the season, Greg, I know it's not easy, but to sort of finish, how would you sum up the season? Because when we sat here... When did we when we started recording the podcast at the start of the season? I was convinced we'd have fans back by Christmas, and we were meant to, weren't we? If you remember, but it's just been so weird, hasn't it? So, if you were to sum it up, sort of overall, how would you put it? I think, in terms of the last campaign, in terms of the year um, and football season, I just think it's 
been like none other. And we shouldn't forget that because, yeah, it, first of all, hardly, yeah, I don't think there were any fans, were there, at Bristol City Games at all. So that's one thing. Then you've got the pandemic and, and affecting the finances, and which is going to have a knock-on effect to players. And, and also, obviously, yeah, the actual involvement of, of everybody uh, um, on ground level in terms of the players being tested twice a week, flow testing it when it got better. Um, and then, yeah, the management side and coaching side do not um, underestimate the, the toll that is taken on these people because, yeah, they've been kept in these bubbles all, all the time. And it, as I say, it's just been a, the most unique season. And coming off the back, remember, of, of the longest season um, probably ever, the, the year before, so these are unprecedented times and, and I think people should keep that in the back of their mind, especially when it comes to things like transfers this summer um, and recruitment and, yeah, the, the, the new coaches coming in and, and staff and et cetera and Nigel Pearson trying to get to grips with everything. I think it's going to take some time for football to recover. But I also do think, Michelle, I don't know if you agree with this, is that in some respects this might be... A, and a good thing for football, and obviously I don't mean to belittle the, the pandemic situation at all. Um, I, I mean, in terms of that maybe it might usher in some change in the future for the better of the game. Certainly, we've already had um, talks from the FA going on in terms of um, the bigger picture and, and obviously the fan-led review at the moment being led by um, Tracy Cat, uh, Couch, uh, Crouch, I think it is. And... Yeah, we might well see some kind of consolidation between the Premier League and and obviously the rest of the football league. So I'm hopeful that football is basically going to emerge in a better place than it was um, before this started. And then and then yes, basically last season, just at strange times and, and an absolute write off for Bristol City uh, because obviously they just slipped back to sort of four or five years ago and. Hence, people have kind of not necessarily lost their jobs, Mark Ashton, etc. But I've, I'm sure that will have played a large part in it, and will have moved on as as we were saying earlier, uh, because of the underperformance, and and it just makes things very um, unstable for them, and 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 yeah, not 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 very um, what's the word? Not very not very comfortable for them to to, to continue doing so. Yeah, a lot of change, but I do think that um, football and Bristol City can, can be in a, a better place moving forward. Yeah, I think you're right. The season, like no other, is a really good way to, to sum it up and hopefully better times ahead for, for all of us and hopefully a summer of some fun football with the Euros, you know, where we don't have to have to worry too much um, about the sort of Bristol City angle of it at least for the Bristol City fans. But I'm sure um, they'll be back in their countries, whether it's England, Wales, Scotland, or a European country in the Euros. Really looking forward to that now. Um, Gregor, enjoy um, a much-earned break. You've been traipsing up and down the country in a pandemic as well. Easy, easy to forget, um, even though we've been incredibly lucky to go to the Games. It's, it's been a little bit stressful at times, especially when the whole country was in lockdown too. So um, 
good on you for doing another amazing job this season look forward to next season and hopefully we'll be back at the start of next season as well if you just hit subscribe on here wherever you're listening today you won't miss an episode and you can keep up to date with what we're up to as well Robins at the Gate is where we are on the social media channels Twitter and Instagram we have Facebook too okay have a great summer uh, whatever you're up to thank you so much for your support thank you so much for listening this season and have a wonderful time watching the Euros too Robins at the Gate Proudly sponsored by Mansion Bet, your favourite place to bet. Always bet on red with Mansion Bet. 18 plus, be gambler Please subscribe and review us wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced by Little Monster Media.